Would you take your Bibles, if you would? We're going to go to the Gospel of John. And if you didn't bring a Bible, I believe there are pew Bibles. So let me encourage you to take one and to look up the Gospel of John. You'll find it in the New Testament. It's one of the biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at chapter 13. And I'll give you a moment to turn to that passage. Today I want us to focus for these moments together on betrayal. As we read this passage about Jesus and what he says to his disciples soon before he is to be crucified, to know that he's going to be betrayed is tough. He's known it all along because he's the Son of God. He knew he was going to be betrayed, but to walk with one of the guys for three years as he poured his life into these 12 guys and to know that each time he would look at this particular one, I know the night before, the day before, I know what you're going to do. What it must have been like to him when Judas actually did it. I want you to grab a hold of the emotion of betrayal and what that does to us. Let's look at the scripture and let that set the text for what we're going to talk about these next few moments. John chapter 13, verse 18, the Holy Word says, I am not referring to all of you. This is Jesus speaking. I know those that I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am now telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant, and one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And then imagine Jesus looking at him and saying this, what you're about to do, go do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. And since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you always for the privilege to gather as the community of faith, part of the body of Christ, to praise you in song, to pray to you, and to hear the proclaiming of your word. Father, you have assembled us in this sacred space this morning. I pray for these next few moments that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to speak directly to our hearts and our minds. And that we would ask you to speak to us. And that we would want you to speak to us. Help us, Father, always to grow and to mature in our Christian journey to become fully devoted and develop followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is a process. We are pilgrims on a journey. 
We are not what we should be, and we are not what we are going to be. But as we walk with you, we can say, thank you, Lord, that we are not what we were. Transform our hearts and our minds today. Challenge us. Convict us. Encourage us, Father. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Here's the question I'd like to ask you. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Second question. Have you ever betrayed anyone? What do I mean by betrayal? I'm talking about deception. Saying one thing and doing another. I'm talking about abandonment. I'm talking about being forsaken. I want us to focus our attention this morning on what betrayal does to the heart of God and what betrayal does to us when we practice that with one another, when we are commanded to love one another and to walk in unity with one another. I want us to focus on the damage and the disappointment and the sadness and the sense of loss that comes when we are betrayed or when we are involved in a betrayal. I want you to think, if you can, a time that that's happened to you. I want you to try to recall the emotions that it evoked within you. What was altered by that experience in your life? Then take it a step further to which is even more important is how it affects each of us. But what betrayal does to the heart of God when his children abandon one another and forsake one another and practice deception with one another? For me, one of the most profound examples of when I came to terms with this was a few years ago. My family and I, several years ago, uh, quit, I quit my teaching career, and we moved to Fort Worth, Texas to attend Southwestern Seminary. When we moved there, we met some wonderful people and made some great friends. As we were leaving church one Sunday, we were walking out the door, and we noticed this couple, and we stopped and said, we don't believe we've met you before. We're Dale and me, Susan, and who are you? And I'll use their names, Joe and Sabrina. That's not their real name, but today they're going to be Joe and Sabrina. And we introduced ourselves, and we talked for a few minutes, and it was amazing what a small world we live in. We found out they had come, grown up in the very city that we were living when we left to move to Fort Worth. So immediately, we had connections. They knew of people that we knew in the city. That's where I taught school. That's where my wife taught school. So there was an immediate coming together, an immediate bond. We liked them. They liked us. Our backgrounds, we found out, were very similar. We had all grown up in the South. Our faith backgrounds were the same. Both families had quit their respective careers to follow God's leading and had come to seminary to train for the ministry. It was a great friendship. It was a fun friendship. Both families had one daughter, and our daughters were only about a year apart, and they meshed and became best friends during our time together there. We ate together. We actually, for many months, went to the same church together, and sometimes we even rode together in the car to go to church. We became extremely close. These were not casual friends. These were close friends that at some point when you were struggling with something or you were discouraged or you were disillusioned, you would share with them. And to know it was going to be safe and that they were not going to do anything with it. They weren't going to go out and gossip. It was that kind of deep abiding 
friendship. Well, time came. We graduated from seminary, and they went their way to fulfill their calling, and my family and I went our way, but we still stayed in touch. And it was the kind of relationship where that we could go for a year and not talk, and we could pick up the phone and start with the same conversation we had ended with. You know what I'm talking about? It was just that kind of relationship. We would go visit them. They would come and visit us. Our girls would stay together. We'd keep their daughter. When they would do something, they would keep ours. It was wonderful, and we continued that relationship. Well, as time goes on, you know how it is. We go this way, and they go that way. So time that we got together became less and less, but we still kept up with one another. One Saturday morning, we got a phone call. Dale, yes, this is Judd. Sabrina and I would like to drive up and see you and Mary Susan this afternoon. They lived about three and a half hours away, and I thought, hmm, on the spur of the moment without calling us, he says, we've got something that's pretty serious we need to talk to you about. Thinking, okay, for them to come that far on a Saturday and drive back in the same day, yeah, that sounds pretty serious. I said, Mary Susan, we need to change our schedule, whatever we were going to do this afternoon. Joe and Sabrina will be here about mid-afternoon. They came, they arrived, and we sat down and exchanged pleasantries with one another and how are you doing and caught up with what the girls were doing and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, Joe became extremely serious. I need to tell y'all something. Well, it was just that feeling that comes over you like, this is not going to be good. Oh, dear, this sounds really serious. Not, mm. Well, what is it? Tell us, and so on and so forth. And he said, I want to explain to you and me, Susan, that I have been addicted to drugs since my early teenage years. That I started out with pot, and that led me to other drugs, and eventually I got addicted to prescription drugs. And I have fought that battle for years and years. And I need to confess to you that there are times that we have come to visit you and your your home, and I would go to your medicine cabinet and steal some of your family drugs. Take some of the medicine that was in your medicine cabinet. Me and Susan and I were sitting there stunned. Oh my goodness, I can't believe what he just said to me. He has lied to us. He is not what he has pretended to be. He has been stealing behind our back. This man that I thought was a man of integrity is not a man of integrity. This man is more interested in feeding his addiction than he is being honest. I thought we had a deeper relationship than that. And I was extremely disappointed, but we said that we would be praying for them, and we would. And they left and went back home. And as soon as I closed the door, I walked right into anger. You don't know me that well. But I did, and I thought to myself, "Mm, boy, it's a good thing I'm not God, because I could clean up some stuff in this world, Lord, if you just let me have five minutes, (laughs) which my wife has often said, we thank God he never gives you that opportunity. And I was, I turned around and said, I can't believe that, Mary Susan. All those times we have sat together and cried together and laughed together and he's been going behind our back when he'd go use the restroom and taking medicine out of our medicine cabinet to feed his habit. Do not lie to me. You can do a lot of things to me, but don't lie to me. You step up to the plate, bring the elephant in the room and say, this is a problem, et cetera, et cetera. But don't deceive me. I have a real tough time dealing with that. 
And I said, I don't want anything else to do with them. You understand? We're not going to call them. We're not going to email them. I'm done. I don't want to be friends with him anymore. He's a liar. I don't want anything to do with a liar. He's betrayed our friendship. He sold our friendship out. I'm done. I had no forgiveness in my heart. I wasn't about to show him one ounce of grace. I was furious for having invested so much of our friendship into this and to have it turn out to be this way. And over time, pride began to swell in my heart. It was over time. It became clear to me in my wisdom, I'm being sarcastic, that as I looked at him and looked at me, that I was much more of a dedicated servant of God than he was. I had given my heart to Jesus. I was a suffering servant. He was playing around. It was evident to me that I was a much better Christ follower than Joe was. And then one day, several years later, I was thinking about that scenario one afternoon, and I'm not even sure why. And I could just feel the anger in my gut churning. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Dale, Dale, Dale. Now, he may not talk to you that way, but that's the way he talks to me. Because I talk a lot, so he has to get my, t- Dale. Dale, Dale, Dale. You have children, you have to quit talking. That's the way I am sometimes. He said, listen to me. I want you to hold up your hands and look at them. All right, that's kind of an odd request. I'm looking at them. Mm -hmm. These hands have betrayed Jesus. What? Your hands have betrayed Jesus numbers of times. Just like Job betrayed you. No way. Mm -mm. I've always been honest with Jesus. God, you got it wrong. No, I'm a committed Christ follower. I have never betrayed Jesus. I've always been honest with Jesus. I'm a man of integrity with Jesus. Jesus sees it, knows it. No, God, you are wrong. And then God began to talk to me. Dale, I want you to think about this. My children betray my son when they stand around telling off-color jokes, which you call dirty jokes, or when they even listen to them. Because the Bible says that the Christ follower is to think about things that are true and noble and right and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Dale, my children portray my son every time they tell a lie, every time they cheat, and every time they steal something. Because the Bible says, as you and I have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Dale, my children, betray my son Jesus every time they get drunk and out of control. And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control and that your body is my temple. Dale, my children, betray Jesus every time they go with their own agenda. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to fulfill my dreams. It's what I want with no thought of what God wants. The Bible says to seek God's kingdom first. My children 
Betray my son every time they do not take the opportunity to read and study the word. Because the Bible says we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Dale people betray Christ every time he presents them with an opportunity to share their faith story with someone else who does not have faith. Because why? The Bible says to go and tell the good news to everyone. To always have a reason for the hope that lies within you. Dale, the Bible, my children betray my son Christ every time they hold grudges and they let anger take root in their hearts with no thought of forgiveness. Uh oh. He got me with that one. Because the Bible says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. God has given his children commandments and directives and instructions for living the Christian life. He makes them very clear for us in the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment says, learn to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love others as well. And the great commission says, then go out and make disciples. To learn to love God and to love others requires that we possess an obedient heart and an obedient mind. To have a willingness to do what God's Spirit tells us to do, whether it's convenient or comfortable, that does not matter. The Scripture says in 1 John chapter 5 that if you obey my commands, that shows your love for me. As we obey the commands of God, that is a demonstration of our love for him. I get it, God. Okay, I get it. I realize now that I have chosen to sin. I have chosen to harbor and to nurture unforgiveness in my heart towards a fellow brother in Christ. And that has grieved your heart. I get it. I know that already. I know the scriptures in my head, but my heart couldn't get there, and today I get it. I realize that I have betrayed you by holding this unforgiving spirit towards Joe, and I want to correct that. So I called him on the telephone, and I said, Joe, I got to tell you, for the last three years, I don't have a lot of grace for you, brother. You were one of the best friends I have ever had. And we had shared all sorts of stuff with one another. And when I think back over that now, I'm sitting there thinking the whole time you were sitting as a fraud in front of me. But I need you to forgive me because I have hated you for what you did. And I can't do that according to Scripture. The Scripture says if you are praying and talking to God, And in the middle of your prayer, it comes to your attention that you have betrayed someone or you have caused a a relationship to come apart, that you are to stop your conversation, get up off your knees, go do everything you can to reconcile it, then come back and continue the conversation. I said, I need to ask you to forgive me. I have sinned against the Lord, and I've sinned against you, my brother, and I'm sorry. I should have given you grace, and I gave you judgment. And I know better. And he said, I forgive you. 
I remind us this morning that it is good to obey the Lord. It is good to do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. It brings delight to our Heavenly Father. I remind us this morning that our sins are what nailed our Jesus to the cross. It was us. We're the ones that rightfully should have hung on the cross because we were the ones that had grieved the heart of God because of our sinfulness. But the perfect Son of God, who had done no harm, who had no defects, no blemishes, walked out into eternity and says, I'll go down to earth and I will live and show them your love and I will take on their sins and they'll be my sins and that will satisfy the justice in your heart. We've been given an incredible gift when we look at the divine capacity that God has to love us. And we're supposed to imitate Christ, so we love back. We swallow our pride. We should make it our aim not to sin every day. We should make it our aim not to sin every day. We should be a people of integrity, honoring our commitment to Christ by living an obedient life. Jesus is the one that helps us begin that journey. And then the rest of that journey, as I tell my congregation all the time, our life should be one big, giant thank you note to God for giving us the gift of salvation. That's what our life should be. The Son should be a priority. The sun changes everything. Years ago, there was a wealthy man, the story tells us, who had one son. He has lost his wife after the son was well into his teenage years. And so it was just the two of them. And over time, they became almost like blood brothers, close brothers rather than a father and son relationship, just so tight, thoroughly enjoyed one another. And the father was an astute art collector a very wealthy man and had the financial means to go all over the world and buy Picassos and Rembrandts and Monets. And his son inherited or seemed to be drawn to the same aesthetic that his father. And so that began to be something they did together. They traveled all over the world through the years collecting priceless works of art that they would bring back and it would adorn the walls of their country estate. He was known around the world Oh my, when that old man passes away, what will happen to that art collection? People around the world knew of the value of it. The war came. His son said, Dad, I need to go fight for my country. He kissed his son goodbye. He heads out, and sure enough, six months to a year later, he gets word that his son's missing in action. Oh, Lord, please. Don't take him away from me. He's all I've got. And sure enough, within a few weeks, he got that telegram that while he was trying to rescue someone to take him to a medic, he'd been shot to death. The father sat down that Christmas day that he had been anticipating to see his beloved son come home. He sat there and looked 
around at all this expensive artwork and to know that he would never get to share it again with his son because it reminded him he's never going to come home again. He goes to the door and there st- opens the door and there stands a young man. He said, may I come in and visit with you a few minutes? I know it's Christmas Day, but I've got a package for you. Yes, and he comes in and sits down and they exchange pleasantries and he said, I'm the one that your son gave his life to save. I'm an artist. And he and I would talk about art and our love for art and I thought as an artist that you are world-renowned known all over the world, you would love to have this portrait. And he opened it up, and it was a self-portrait of the sun. He said, I want you to have it. Now, it didn't compare to the Monet. It didn't compare to the Picasso. But you know what that father did? Thank you so much. This is an incredible picture of my boy. The guy leaves. He goes up to the giant fireplace, and he removes the expensive artwork and puts his son right above the mantle. A few months later, the old man became ill and died. Word spread all over the world. Oh, my goodness, there's going to be an auction because there's not anyone to inherit this. Whoever gets this will be able to brag internationally. I have one of the best private art collections in the world. The date was set. People literally came from all over the world to this grand estate waiting for the auctioneer to say, let's begin the bid. He stood up and said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us today. Now it's time to begin, and we're going to begin with this first one. And he picked the picture of the man's son. He said, who will start the bid? People are going, what? I don't want a picture of the man's boy. I want those. That doesn't mean anything to me. And people begin to gripe and complain at the auction. He said, I'm sorry. But it's very specific in the man's will that when his items are auctioned off, the son is auctioned first. Who will buy the portrait of the son? Finally, one man in the back said, I live down the road, and I've known the young boy since he was a little fella. I liked him. I'll buy it, but I've only got 10 bucks. Will you take it? Going once, going twice, sold to the man for 10 bucks. Thank you very much, the auctioneer says. We appreciate you being here and flying from all over the world. The auction is now concluded. What? What do you mean the auction's concluded? I came from across. No, no. Wait a minute. We've got to bid on all these. What do you mean? Let me read for you what it says here in his will. He's very specific. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. My dear friends, whoever takes Jesus into their life gets it all. Amen? God, thank you that even when we choose to disobey you, that when we come back to you with a spirit of repentance, you will receive us and forgive us. Thank you for forgiving me for that pride and that anger that I carried those several years for Joe. I pray, Father, I will never walk down that path again. 
I pray, Father, that all of us would think about the times that we have been betrayed and how we betray you many times in our everyday lives when you have called us to be holy people. May we recommit our lives today, Father, every day to make it our aim not to sin, not to forsake our commitment to you to live God-honoring lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.